Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, the official podcast of Craft Brewed Music, the app that streams better music for serious listeners. Here we explore and get to know the creators of that music. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. We've got Charlie Hunter on the show this week, which is exciting for us, having been fans since our high school days in the 90s. Not only was Charlie Hunter an influence musically for us, teaching us a lot about the groove and about making music for a uh, uh, a jazz funk uh, ensemble, he taught us a lot about uh, how to title songs. As I was doing some listening and uh, enjoying such tracks as Fine Corinthian Leather from an album called Baboon Strength, I thought of our own... Uh, offerings to the world uh, with our band that was called Larry Mandela with our album called New Car Smell and songs such as Super Big Freak and Hans Gruber <laughs> that uh, he, he left other impressions on us as well. <laughs> A long legacy of, uh, of uh, less than intelligent humor, but hilarious. <laughs> Um, so we're excited um, to get into all that, but um, wanted to uh, first let you know about a couple new offerings we have for those of you who may want more craft brewed music and who may want to support these artists. We've launched a patron program through Patreon uh, with a couple cool benefits for uh, $5 a month. There's a soundtrack episode, which is going to be six songs from the artist we feature in that episode, come out at the same time every two weeks. Um, and then uh, a second tier at $25 a month with merch uh, throughout the year that you get. Uh, also the soundtrack episode uh, and a, what we're calling the Craft Brewed Music Six Pack, a sampler of um, miscellaneous artists from the streaming service. Um, so you can find info on that at the link that's going to be in each episode description. And, uh, you know, email us if you have questions. And we hope that, um, you know, that will... Uh, hopefully satisfy your desire for more of this stuff, which, which we hope you have. Um, yeah, I think this is a great way to, to give uh, listeners of the podcast more of what they want, uh, which is more music, more discoveries. And I think this Patreon uh, page is a great way to, uh, to bring more music to our listeners. Those benefits are going to start next episode, episode 15 with singer-songwriter Emily Keener, which we're also looking forward to. Let's get back to episode 14, which is the great Charlie Hunter. Charlie Hunter is an artist who has been making really interesting uh, music for the last three decades. He's collaborated with uh, numerous artists. He's uh, collaborated with Nora Jones. He's collaborated with John Mayer, um, collaborated with uh, Mos Def. Uh, and he has... Uh, numerous uh, of his own projects uh, that run the gamut from uh, straight ahead jazz to funk uh, to blues to uh, these homage albums to great American songwriters. Charlie Hunter is unique in the guitar world in that he has developed a style of playing on a instrument that he helped develop. And this is a hybrid guitar that features uh, the bottom strings of the bass and the top strings of a guitar. It's typically uh, an eight-string instrument. And he's developed a technique in which he's able to hold down uh, the bottom end, uh, either playing funky grooves or a walking bass and play the chords on top, and then even solo while accompanying himself. And this makes for a extremely uh, exciting and unique approach to the pocket and the groove that uh, is a strong feature in all of his work. And it was a great opportunity to, to talk to him about, about playing and about music and about how he developed um, his technique on the instrument. Our interview started with a, a comedy of technical errors and we ended up switching to a, a different recording platform. So bear with us on the audio quality of this one. Um, but uh, I think you'll enjoy the conversation and the music all the same. Uh, 
I guess uh, I'm going to kick off the uh, the interview with a quote, which uh, we we don't typically do. But I thought this one occurred to me as I was uh, uh, listening to your music the last uh, the last few weeks, and and the quote comes from Ludwig van Beethoven, whom you may know. Uh, <laughs> upon uh, hearing that fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Upon hearing one of his contemporaries uh, play a piece on the guitar, he uh, is quoted as saying, the guitar is a miniature orchestra in itself. Um, and I, you know, the, the veracity of this, this comment has been, has been debated. So I did a bit more research into it. It's only, turns out to be just a, a portion of, of a larger quote. And uh, so he goes on to say after that, he says, the guitar is a miniature orchestra in itself. But moreover, I firmly believe that with modifications to the instrument and the proper application of technique, it could become Bootsy and Catfish in one. <laughs> I know he knew Catfish. I'm not sure about Bootsy, though. <laughs> I did. I had to translate it from German as well. Which was yeah. Yeah. Um, aber ich kann, ich kann Deutsch sprechen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I... Uh, uh, the, the serious question in all this uh, is, uh, you know, there has been a, a tradition in the guitar as a uh, classical instrument, as a, uh, you know, something that's capable of counterpoint and self-accompaniment uh, that uh, as it, uh, you know, became an American instrument, the Delta Blues also uh, kept, kept several things going at once, uh, a thumping bass and a melody and the chords. Um, developed through uh, Travis picking kind of a, a, strad, a stride piano kind of sensibility to it. And then eventually uh, one of my favorite things, which is the, the jazz guitar and these uh, chord melodies and things that Joe Pass would do on the Virtuoso album. And I'm wondering uh, what point, do you feel like what you do is just the next point in this evolution of the guitar as a, uh, as a self-contained miniature orchestra? Oh, well, that's a great lead off, honestly. Um, and I totally agree with you with all that stuff. I mean, you know, the guitar, it's like a, it's a folk instrument, right? And so every different folk has their version of it and it travels and you can play full chords on it. And it actually has, even before I was messing with it, it actually does go down, you know, to low E, sometimes D, sometimes C, you know, it, it can get pretty low. So it's pretty self-contained instrument that travels, you know, I mean, the other ones like that are the accordion, right? Which never really took off in that way, maybe the banjo, but, um, you know, it's, it's always been, I think at its best when it's kind of been uh, occupied this kind of a crossroads where kind of driving rhythm meets kind of, some melody, some harmony, uh, and those things, the counterpoint of those, you know? So all those styles you mentioned, yeah, totally. It, it all makes sense, you know? Were you a, uh, um, ever a, uh, an explorer of, uh, of, you know, more traditional jazz guitar chord melodies, the kind of stuff Joe Pass was doing? Uh, of course. The- oh, yeah. Yeah. So- yeah I mean, you got to know that shit, you know? Thank you. 
so you cover the role of the guitarist and the bassist um, by adding either one or two strings. Was that something? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that came about um, kind of organically, like you were hearing things and reaching for those things and so you wanted to make those modifications or was it driven more by some logistical reason like, hey, I can save a hotel room if I, you know, if I cover the bass part as well? Yeah, I wish that was the case. It's <laughs> just been nearly impossible to make money in this in this business. Regardless, even if you're playing the bass and the guitar parts, it's still <laughs> it's it, it, any type of financial security has been pretty elusive, you know. Um, so yeah, I I I mean, I just did it because you know I was just exploring it, you know, and and at the time I I I don't know why I did. I just kind of did it just seemed interesting and natural and there was all that kind of all that kind of good you know you, you could just be self-contained you know i think i just liked that kind of part of it it did allow you to kind of uh, move the uh the scale because typically the guitar is a folk instrument you know doing you know ragtime guitar or doing a you know joe pass you know chord solo it has a certain scale to it that sounds really good when it's on its own but you've expanded it where you can lock in with a percussion player and still sound sound big uh, and play it uh, with an ensemble uh, that's a that's a larger scale than your typical self-contained guitar yeah i mean and that's the whole concept of at least what i was trying to do you know that's the whole um concept and uh, unfortunately it's like i love playing like just acoustic guitar or or i mean i play with an organ player in town just regular old kind of i guess what you'd call kind of like jazz guitar stuff but um i just see it all as a part of a continuum you know and this instrument you know the bad choice i made was going with the bass and because it's so tricky and it's just so damn difficult to to play you know it just takes a lot of effort which i love i love practicing i love all that stuff but you know when i'm doing it right nobody notices <laughs> that's the best part well, that's, nobody notices and that's that's the truth you know at the, the the points where you're just like oh my god like the the we're in the pocket now uh if you're if you're having a pure audio experience like yeah it's it's you lose the appreciation that the one guy is doing this whole thing yeah yeah uh, well, I, I guess, you know, um, and I and I kind of got over that in terms of not wanting it to be about, um, you know, not wanting it to be about that so much as just finding like, OK, what's the opportunity? What can this thing do? Uh, and it can occupy this part of the music. And, you know, I'm able to kind of act as a hub, you know, and the spokes can come out and from that and you know, I'm able to kind of make decisions to steer the music. And it's a lot like being a drummer, you know, but it's kind of trickier because you have to deal with the harmony too. Yeah. I wanted to ask, you know, cause the, um, you know, you, you've had the opportunity to work with all these great um, drummers and the, uh, you know, your ability to to lock in on the low end is, uh, is, is pretty remarkable. And, you know, guitar players who dabble in the bass don't really get there. And, and I, I was caught wondering, did you spend time as, as a bassist before you got into this whole this whole thing with the hybrid guitar? Yeah, uh, you know, I, w I played bass on the street when I was a street musician in Europe. Um, I played some upright bass. And then, of course, you know, growing up, you're always going to be playing bass if you're a guitar player, you know. Um, so... And, you know, being around a lot of great bass players. And then also, I think what was maybe even more important with, than the bass in a lot of ways was the drums, playing a lot of drums. Uh, and that's kind of a big, I think that's a large kind of component of, of what makes it work. You know what I mean? Because you got to have a good kind of solid grasp of time and feel and rhythm and where all that stuff kind of goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And structure too. I think the drummer drummers are great for that. Uh, always keeping the structure in mind, no matter what's going on moment to moment. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's, um, you know, bass players do the same thing, you know, and my instrument's a little tougher because there's a lot of shit to think about, but, you know, I'm trying to get to a point where I'm thinking about it less and playing simpler stuff that grooves better. Um, but, you know, it's not the audience isn't going to go, wow, that guy's exploding. But that's not the point. The point is to 
make it the music feel good and 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 do that you know i mean shredding is not super difficult <laughs> right, right. it just you know it's, it's it's difficult to do it in time you know and with a good with good feel you know yeah yeah what what kind of stuff were you playing when you were a street musician in europe i'm, I'm curious well you know you're just gonna play you know no one's gonna stop the thing you learn early on is that nobody's gonna stop for jazz um like if i'm out there playing like my joe pass shit or pretending to be tuck andrews nobody's you know three people will stop if i'm out there with three other people and we're playing popular songs and we have vocal harmonies and dance steps everybody's gonna stop you know lesson learned <laughs> you know talking about uh you know keeping it about the music um it seems like there's a couple constants looking at you know listening through your recorded um career one's groove and another seems to be the blues uh-huh and is that you know is that if you had to pick a, a musical love of your life would it be the blues well i mean yeah i mean that's kind of how i came up you know on my mom's record collection um it's definitely my foundation you know for everything that i do um but, you know, I grew up in Berkeley, California, so I heard everything from soul music to punk rock music growing up. So I, I'm conversant uh, in a bunch of different stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the bedrock on which I kind of kind of build everything, you know. There's a particular uh, quality to your, your phrasing um, and your attack that's that's can be kind of aggressive and popping that I really dig. It kind of reminds, reminds me of... Uh, the stuff that Mark Rabot does with uh, Tom Waits, uh huh, and uh, I really dig that. And I was, and I've always like wondered what you know what what is it about uh, your particular push to phrasing that that I find it uh, uh, attractive, and I think it's it's that it's it's that uh, that it's, it's centered in in an old time in, in an older blues aesthetic, and yeah, listening to the 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 Patton and Percussion album that Brian and I both really enjoyed. Oh, uh, thank you. I, I feel like that kind of uh, really uh, illustrates that uh, that connection and um, and that uh, that particular link in your playing to the uh, to the past. Yeah, man, you totally hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's like when I'm playing the guitar kind of side of things. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that, even if it might be harmonically a little more kind of futuristic, you know, or whatever you want to call jazz harmony. I'm still looking to phrase everything as if I were Charlie Patton or Blind Blake or Sunhouse. That that's where you're exactly right. That's where the kind of phrasing comes from. Um, and you know what? It's just to it's it's you just think about a guy playing acoustic guitar in a field and 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 or a or a barn or a roadhouse and trying to project. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. It's that kind of intensity that you kind of get from it. You know, Kind of the melodic phrasing is one you know theme in that album but the other one is this kind of the rhythmic drive that you got going like with the, the first first track the the bull weevil yeah uh, uh and that's you know we we assumed that that was kind of a a modern reimagining of of charlie Patton, but it turns out listening to those those old recordings like that that thump and that drive is all there oh thanks man i mean that's exactly what i was trying to do 
you know. Thank you so much, man. I, I I did really work on that and I did really take a deep dive into kind of the Charlie Patton kind of universe because I just feel like that's where all of it, it all comes from the blues at that era. You know, all of the stuff that kind of we we like or we listen to, you know, it all came from there, you know, and, and it really, he's really, you know, he's one of the kind of keystones of that, you know. At, at that time, you know, and, and was that uh, were those early recordings a part of a part of, a part of your mom's record collection? When oh you're yeah, oh like, yeah, that- for sure. Yeah, you know what the crazy thing about those recordings is? Those aren't masters. You know the story about the Paramount Record Company went out of business in the Depression and they sold all their stamp and masters to a chicken farm that used them to line their chicken coops. <laughs> So all of those Charlie Patton <laughs> records and the other ones, they're just 78s that people digitized. Oh, wow. Isn't that gnarly? And that's why they, they sounded much better at one point, you know? Um, Interesting. And the, the sad thing is the, the tunes that everyone loves are the ones that got played too much, you know? Sure, sure. Hmm. Hmm. I never heard that story. That's, that's, it seems like that's, somehow that's, oddly that's, prophetic as a use for albums. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the value we place as a society on that. <laughs> exactly. Not profit, but profit, F-I-T. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Profitic. <laughs> We're going to take a quick intermission for a word from our sponsor, which is us. Craftroot Music is a curated streaming service. It's the app that streams better music for serious listeners. Sometimes we hear that people want to hear more of the songs we play on the podcast. If you like what you've been hearing, you need to download the app and get a free trial. We'll help you discover music off the beaten path so that you become the person your friends turn to for recommendations, and we split our income with the artists. It's $5 a month or $50 a year, less than a latte. We're the small batch streaming app, available at the App Store and at Google Play. Or to hear samples and find out more about us, visit craftbroodmusic.com. You know, as we uh, uh, as we went through uh, your your substantial catalog of recording, Charlie, and and I don't know if Brian told you, but we did this uh, exercise between the two of us where we decided, like, you know, there's like twenty five thousand albums we need to like, you know, try to listen to. <laughs> to try Damn, to- <laughs> that's a lot. I probably listened to a hundred total. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean just your music. <laughs> oh, just, good lord! Just just to like. Yeah. All twenty five thousand of your recordings, just to like oh, you know, we had a poor, uh, a good idea. Poor of this. bastard! I think <laughs> once you get past ten, it's it's time to call somebody. 
Well, in order to like intentionally rein ourselves in, we decided we each make a song list uh, that uh, we, we'd see if there was any uh, uh, any any overlap. And uh, interestingly, there was there was a couple of things, including stuff off the Patent and Percussion album. Oh, but, cool! Uh, I'm glad. But as we did our survey, uh, one of the uh, interesting themes that occurred to me was, you know, I'd always um, thought about you as kind of a, a master of the of the the groove and somebody who can keep a, a jam going for you know the other soloists and to, you know, it seemingly like like all the compositions would 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 would. Uh, be composed around this groove, and yet, as as I as we delved more into your your body of recorded material, it appears there's an obsession with songs, uh, with traditional song forms, more lyrical melodies, and indeed doing honor to some of the great American songwriters uh, in the course of your recording career. Oh, uh, right on. Which was, you know, it was a revelation to me because I thought like, oh, this is a groove guy. This is like a, like a jam guy. But I came away from this listening experience thing like this is a song guy. appreciate it um well i mean you know you can't get get away from that stuff you know especially if you play with singers sometimes you know you're gonna have to play songs at some point you know um and you know and i think it's important even if you're like me and you're ultimately really coming from the blues and that's kind of the foundation you still need to learn songs and you really need to learn a bunch of you know i love billy strayhorn tunes so i'm gonna learn them you know some of them um uh, you know, I, you know, there's so many other great writers that I love and and uh, it's just important to know that stuff and to to learn how to navigate those 
melodies and those chords, you know. Um, Your selection of homages is, is is quite quite diverse. We were remarking, you know, it goes from Cole Porter to Duke Ellington to Bob Marley to Hank Williams to the Cars, and really, it doesn't uh, fall in any in any one rut. <laughs> yeah, his journey. Yeah, I mean, I'm just you know. Uh, there's just so much shit out there that you can kind of mine, you know? One of my, uh, Brian knows this, uh, uh, favorite listening experiences over the last, uh, the last few weeks has been the, the entirety of the, that your Hank Williams album with, with Scott Amendola. Oh, okay. Oh, right uh, on. In particular, in particular, uh, cold, cold heart. Um, I right. think that's a great, really delicate, sensitive approach to that that melody and uh, i love oh. that uh in the course of it you know there's there's something very um uh accessible about your playing and it, it and you kind of you feel like you know the person a little bit and uh, i like that it's it's matching that with you can kind of hear you guys over the drum mics i'm guessing kind of hooting and hollering and carrying on like while you're yeah while you're playing we scott and i always have a good time you know um man i gotta listen to that again because i don't remember that honestly i it I, god i'm ashamed to say it if i had to play that right now i don't think i could play it because i just don't remember it um <laughs> well one of the things i i was caught you know wondering with that one um it uh it it sounds very natural and i know that you're you have the the versatility to, to improvise out a melody and a chord structure you know well when you when you approach a project like that, uh, do you do you work out a lot of the uh, the heads and where the bass is going to go and how the chords are going to go, or do you just kind of let it fly? Um, well, I mean, I think I just let it fly. You know, as long as I know where it's supposed to go, um, I'll get there. You know, you mean you're talking about in terms of? Um, I mean, like you physically like, on like, the instrument, how to physically play it, or just more in terms of the form. Well, at least like like for like for the head when you're playing the melody, um, yeah. Or, or are you doing like rock and rhythm, like you know the the Duke Ellington thing? Like, are you right. spending time working out a format that's going to work for for the bass and accompanying yourself and playing the melody, or do you just like I, I know the tune pretty well, let's let it rip and see what happens? It's kind of somewhere in between, you know, um, because ultimately there comes a point where there's only so many different things you can do, but. I still try to approach everything as with as much looseness as possible, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so at least you'll be able to change, you'll be able to um, improvise a little bit here and there. Yeah. And cold, cold heart. If, if you get a chance to listen again, first of all, it's great. Secondly, like it, it like it turns, it turns into like a, a blues song. Like, oh, cool. Uh, is yeah. it, does it go like, um, is it like a. Yeah. Yeah, and you're kind of muting the, right. uh, the melody. Okay. Uh, someone. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. it now. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, uh, what is it? Something like that. I can't remember. I can't really remember it. We highly I'm recommend totally. you check out that album. Yeah, oh, cool. Charlie yeah. Hunter's great. It's available <laughs> on all platforms. Oh, listen to that asshole. <laughs> <laughs>
So in addition to your, um, you know, your, your takes on all these songs that you play instrumentally, you could have, it seems to me, you could have easily stayed in that world as a, as a um, kind of superstar instrumental um, funk, jazz, blues guy. But you've also done a lot of work with, with, with you know, supporting singers, Lucy Woodward, Dion Ferris. Um, sure. Producing and playing with um, Savannah Estrada. Yeah, and I just, uh, I guess Lucy and Dara Tucker and Dion Ferris. Um, and I actually just finished producing and playing on the what will be the next Kurt Elling record, actually. That oh, one, wow. too. Huh. Um, you know, it's just a real uphill battle to play any kind of instrumental music um it's very i mean it's like uh, even the, the you know the in most the people who get the most uh you know bandwidth that are way above me even for them it's not really easy you know it's like playing instrumental music is is even if it's like real accessible it's just kind of like looking for an apartment in New York with like three dogs, you know, or, or you're going to be, you're going <laughs> to just not be eligible for 90% of the opportunities, you know? Uh, and when you get a singer, immediately all those doors open up for you. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, so obviously you like songs, so it's not like you're doing something you don't like, but it's a practical no. decision. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's practical. It's also fun. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it, you sure. know. Sure. Um and you know, and things they they all run their course and you're on to the next thing and who knows what it's gonna be, you know. One of our uh our favorite discoveries uh was the Los Sagrado album that you did with uh Savannah. Yeah. 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 Which is which is a uh uh, a, a departure in some ways and uh you know from from the, the the rest of your material i'm very curious how that all came to be okay well um so silvana scott amandola and i went down to guadalajara there was a a kind of a thing called tonica tonica jazz and it was basically like they kind of took over this school and kids from all over mexico came for like a one week kind of jazz camp i guess for lack of a better term but you had to teach an instrumental class and then you had to teach your um your uh, ensemble class right and um in addition to playing a few gigs for the festival so i got super lucky in that my ensemble room had these had a bunch of people in it but three of them were from um from uh, Jalapa in um, Veracruz province uh -huh. and um, or Veracruz state rather, sorry. And um, one of them was this young, I mean, she was 19. They were very young, Silvana and uh, Alex, the drummer and Octavio, the bass player. They were very young, they were kids. And they just had such a um, vibe to them, you know, uh, really great, playing great stuff. And it was just fun to be around the young kids kind of because of the energy, you know, and then they wanted us to play, um, you know, they said, well, you need to play a, a bebop tune and a standard and a blues for the ensemble's performance. And when the guy left, I'm just like, look, you guys are Mexican. You have your own musical history. You know this shit. Let's not do that. Let's do, does anyone here have original songs? And they said, oh, Silvana has original songs. And so we did them. I was just like, damn, this, this girl <laughs> wow. is great. You know, she writes these great songs that kind of like are on the kind of in the middle of all this jazz harmonic stuff and also Southern Mexican folkloric music, you know? And, um, so then I didn't even know at the time that she played the quattro either. I didn't know she had those skills. So when we were done, it was great. We really, really connected with them. And then I told them when I left, I was just like, man, I was thinking to myself, look, if somebody doesn't do something for these kids, especially Silvana, no one's, nothing's going to happen. No one's going to do something for them. They need someone to, to take them to the next stage of their creative you know, lives, whatever that may be. And so it's just like, I kind of just like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but I just, I have to do it, you know? Um, so my friend, Chris Finney and I told them, Hey, I'm, we're going to do something together. I'll, I'll, I'll connect with you and you know, whatever. So we connected over Facebook or whatever it was then. And I, and I talked to Silvana's parents and I said, Hey, um, you know, 
I'm a weird guy, but not the weird guy that's <laughs> going to do anything untoward <laughs> with your, your very talented daughter. And we just hit it off because her parents are like these amazing, they're luthiers. Uh, they make uh, basses, oh. cellos, violins, violas, like world-class instruments, people huh. playing symphonies, you know. And um, and I said, look, you know, Silvana tells me you guys have in your work area, you know, you have a space that we could possibly record in. Would it be okay if I came down with an engineer friend of mine and we just recorded the kids, recorded this music and then, you know, at least get her. That's I can offer that because I had points, uh, airline points. And my friend Chris Finney, who's a great engineer in New Orleans, was he was game because he, he's an adventurer, you know. So we went down there and we hung with them for I think it was about a week. And uh, we just turned the one of their extra work spaces into a recording space with whatever we had. And we recorded them, you know, and, and her, her songs mostly. And, you know, and, you know, long story short, we were she was supposed to come to the States to tour, but because of the Trump administration um, and their, you know, their immigration policies, they basically just weren't letting anybody in. So they denied her very, uh, pedestrian visa which just allowed her to do this one tour so she couldn't get in she was really bummed we were really bummed but the silver lining in that cloud is it led the outrage of not being able to come into the country actually led a lot of people in mexico to discover her hmm. and then the rest is she just kind of shot up and became a, a real big kind of national treasure there which i'm very proud of story so is there the chance now that um that that tour can happen is that going to be revisited there was talk about maybe bringing her here for the um the north carolina folk festival hmm. um before the pandemic so you know if she comes here i'll definitely play with her but she's she's great we have a great great time playing together so you had mentioned the uh the the organ trio is a uh, uh as a, a recent uh project um yeah we were uh <clears throat> we were uh fascinated uh by uh by that uh, kind of uh, choice as your uh as your uh, as your as your new thing uh looking looking back it seems like that's always been kind of a role you've played in the trio and the uh quartet you know kind of laying down the uh the bass and like these kind of Leslie Speaker S, you know, uh, chords over top using your instrument and, uh, you know, fast, you know, tunes like Greasy Granny back from the Bing, Bing, Bing days and yeah, and down low off uh, Natty Dread. I mean, you, you're doing the, the, uh, the B3 work. Thank you. 
fast forward to modern day and, uh, you know, you're, you're ceding the role to, uh, <laughs> to, to the organ player. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's Sam's record. And what I'm trying to do now is do whatever I can to get like I, a lot like I did with Silvana, you know, like I didn't play on her record. I mean, I did. I played some like guitar solos and whatnot, but no, I wasn't like an integral part of that. But like with the local people here in Greensboro, I'm trying to do whatever I can to help them take their thing to the next level. And, you know, it just so happens I can play regular guitar, you know, and Sam Frybush, who's a great uh, young organist, uh, he and his brother Eli, they had to move back here from New Orleans, you know, in the pandemic. So, you know, we had been playing, I actually was playing drums with them originally, but, and I was just like, man, Sam is too good for me to play, be playing drums with him anymore, you know, like, so I was like, Sam, let's make, I want to produce a record of you playing organ here's the let's do these tunes we'll get jeff clapp to play drums and i'll just play you know regular guitar uh on it So I did, that's what I did with him, with my friend, uh, Darren, who's, I don't know if I sent you guys that music, but he's a local guy who's a great kind of producer, songwriter, singer, rapper. I mean, I've been doing all this stuff for him where, you know, I'll play drums and bass and guitar and percussion, whatever he needs to make the track work. Um, I just did a record for this woman, Victoria, Victoria, which was great. And I essentially did a very similar thing I did with Darren, but you know, she's a very different artist. So, and they're all local and they're all great. And they just need an older person who's been around um, to just kind of help them get to the next stage. And I just sublimate whatever my abilities are to best realize what their vision is, you know? So really the thing with Sam, it's not about me. I mean, it's fun as hell to play that guitar. And I forgot that I could even do that. You know what I mean? Um, but it's his thing, you know what I mean? So what, yeah, so what was it like, or what's it like for you now playing, as you put it, regular guitar? Is that liberating or, or, or limiting? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's a whole other thing. It's like, it's like, you know, getting half my brain back, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's a whole other thing, but doing my instrument for all those years really makes it, it just makes you, you know, hopefully not do as dumb shit on the guitar as you would do, you know, cause you're really connected to the drums and they're really connected to the groove hmm. of all that stuff. But I just, honestly, man, I just see it as a continuum. Like if I'm playing some really old blues stuff on an acoustic guitar, it's all connected to playing like kind of like jazz stuff with an organ trio. That's also connected with playing drums on a hip hop track. That's also connected with, playing bass which i play plenty of regular bass for people too which is also connected with my instrument which is way harder than the rest of those instruments um and so it's kind of like you got to do all that other stuff to be able to play this instrument you know thank you for listening 
Craft Brewed Music, both the podcast and the streaming service, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Secondly, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brewed Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbrewedmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.